there is only one true way to be enlightened and entertained with the best sports knowledge. That way is the American way. Welcome to the American Way podcast. Here's your host, Amir. All right, so welcome again, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here uh, today with my guest, uh, uh, the ho- host and proprietor of uh, Score North, uh, Score North, Mr. Phil Mackey, uh, the expert on a lot of things Minnesota sports. Although he's in the in these uh, in these technological times, he's now remote, living from Seattle, but still the proprietor of Score North. Mr. Mackey, how are you today, sir? Amir, I at least pretend to know what I'm talking about. I've been I've been faking it well for a long time. If nothing else. <laughs> Aren't we all, I mean, honestly, truly, like, nobody really knows. I mean, we're, we all consider, in this, in this day and age, the blessing and curse of ha- everyone having platforms and me, myself, trying to have a platform is we all think we know and we, we all pretend to be experts, but we just fake it till we make it, I suppose. Yep, yep. I think, uh, and, and when it comes to Minnesota sports, too, we actually do know. It's probably going to end in heartbreak. It's just a matter of how. How does it end in heartbreak? <laughs> I know. There's too many, too many heartbreaks. Just too many. But it's, it's inevitable, but I, I, like I've said on this podcast before, I am the Don Corleone of sports. That's, <laughs> I, I, every time I try to pull out, they keep me coming back for more, and I... I I keep at at the end. I keep begging, why, why? So <laughs> I love it. Yes. I love it. <laughs> so why don't I have you uh, just quickly, just so you can explain the your journey into how you got to where you are today, just in media and just sort of how how you grew to uh, the prominent voice you have today in the Minnesota sports culture. Sure. Yeah. So I actually um, my first ever media job was at a small radio station out in Buffalo, Minnesota, in Wright County, Minnesota, probably you know, 45, 50 minutes west of downtown Minneapolis, KRWC Radio. And I, so I went to Buffalo High School, and I remember I was looking for a summer job. I worked at Play It Again Sports in Buffalo, and um, Al Kreb and Dan Vandehey were my two awesome bosses for, for two summers. But I wanted... I wanted to do something in sports, and I wanted. To, I was interested in doing maybe something in media or radio. I always wanted to work for ESPN when I was a kid growing up, and so um, I, I had played some high school baseball, and I saw that KRWC was was broadcasting some of our high school baseball games. And so I literally went in like the first day of summer vacation. I think it was between senior year of high school and freshman year of college, or it might have been the summer after. I can't remember, uh, and I just. I walked in and I asked for the station manager, Joe Carlson, and I said, hey, uh, do you have any part-time jobs or just internships available? I think I asked for internships. And he said, well, we don't do any internships, but coincidentally, we are looking for some help doing some baseball and softball play-by-play this summer. And so literally on the spot, he was like, I mean, we've done so, we broadcasted some of your baseball games before, so we know that you know how to play baseball. And since you showed this initiative, we're just gonna make you a, a play-by-play guy for high school baseball and so that's what I did I did small town high school and uh, amateur baseball games play-by-play 
in 2005 and 2006 or 2004 2005 um and then i also got what was an an 11-month unpaid internship at uh, kfan for a year during that period too and my entire like i didn't know what i was doing clearly had never been on a microphone before but i just i did two things i think and i and i try to do these things to this day i i tried to outwork everybody in and around me so whether it was the other interns at kfan or uh, just other, you know, other people that I perceive to be on my level uh, in radio, like entry-level jobs, just outwork everybody, and then study the people that are paving the path in front of you, people that are doing it well at a high level, what makes them good, what makes them interesting. Um, so work hard and study people that have done it before, and I think those two things and just getting lucky at certain times and being in the right place at the right time combined with maybe some work ethic has just opened a lot of doors for me the last 15 years so it's been fun yeah it definitely is and like just me myself personally getting into the industry I'm always fascinated just how the various paths but everyone I talk to all expresses the, 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 the very different paths but all hard work and I, as our mutual friend Mr. Mr. Wolfson says gotta keep pounding the pavement so everyone everyone has different shapes of concrete but you gotta do what you do with that so I I appreciate you. You bring you bring up Doogie Wilson. Uh, that eleven month unpaid internship was par- partially working for Doogie back in like two thousand five. So him him and I have known each other for man six sixteen years now. He's been doing it for a long time. Yeah, uh, I th- yeah. I think a lot. That's that's great. I think yeah. A lot. Of, a lot. Of, I think the one thing about the Twin Cities industry. I I don't know about other bigger in just bigger markets. It seems like even like the competitors like. Everybody in this industry like knows each other. It seems I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's if it's a myth or if it's if I'm making it bigger than it seems. But it seems that everyone's in the industry seems connected somewhat in this town. Yeah, I think well, it is you know it's it's a big market, but it's also a smaller market too in a lot of ways. And I don't know, I think part of it is there's just in this industry it's very rare that you get a job and then you keep it at the same company for 30 years i mean you'll see some tv guys joe schmidt at channel five or uh mark rosen for all those years at at channel four wcco tv and actually you could make a case that basically the entire k-fan radio lineup for 20 25 years has been the same so there are some examples but um you never want to burn bridges and close doors if you can help it i mean there's you know, I'd be lying if I said I had an amazing relationship with everyone in the Twin Cities media, but I would like to think that, um, I think to answer your question, it seems tight knit because people jump around to different places and they, and there's not a lot of bridge burners in town. So, and it's not to put it even more clearly, it's not the most competitive media market. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, like when you go to New York and Boston, the writers and the TV stations are competing for scoops and better headlines and clicks and everything. And, and they view oftentimes Philadelphia can be like this too. They view anyone at another media outlet as potentially stealing bread off their table. Right. And, um, I don't know. It just, it doesn't really feel like that in the twin cities. It kind of feels like everyone is, not there to help each other, but like not there to undermine each other, I suppose. Yeah, like it's very ethical and an ethical, an ethical sort of competition, if you will. Yeah, it's a it's a friendly, maybe sometimes passive aggressive competition. 
Yeah, let me sort it for you. So one of the reasons I want to have you on, have you on today, obviously I follow your content. I know you mentioned you put something out there a couple weeks ago that I I was I thought about myself is you had the list of top Minnesota athletes currently at or under twenty five, which full disclosure makes me seem a bit old, but I th- I thought it's very even though of all the heartbreak and all the malaise we seem to have in Minnesota sports, I I don't know about you, but I feel like. This is the best young crop of athletes for each team, men and women in this town we've had in a while. Like every team, it just seems it seems like every team in this town, professionally, male and female, has one or two young potential superstars. Am I am I am I making it too big to am I making this too big to seem, or is there other 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 times you think it was like this as well? Like. It just seems pretty, pretty insane. The amount yeah, of talent. I think, I think you're right. This this feels like kind of a renaissance period for young great players under 25. I just I just had to pull my list up that you're referring to so I could just kind of remember the order in which I put these players. And by the way, uh, like 10 minutes before we hit record on this podcast, and to lost out uh, to Lamelo is yeah, un- Lamello. unsurprising. Although I, I, a lot of people on Twitter were a uh, Wolves Twitter were. Uh, mad, mad about it. I was thinking, well, Jefferson didn't win either. It's like, do we, will we, re- will we truly, really remember who won Rookie of the Year? Because I don't even think LeBron won Rookie of the Year. I think Carmelo might have won it that year. So it's like, do we really care who won Rookie of the Year? If they're good in ten years, that's that's fine with me. So I, I'm glad that he didn't win. Not because like I, I think he deserved it. He, he played twenty more games too, and and durability matters in today's NBA. But I kind of like the fact that now, and he retweeted somebody saying like, wow, and the NBA just poked the bear and, and Edwards, like he's going to be motivated now and he's going to have a chip on his shoulder to prove to everyone that they slighted him as a rookie. So I actually love this for him. We'll probably talk about that on our show tomorrow. But so um, I've got Justin Jefferson. This is so players 25 and under Justin Jefferson, number one, Kirill Kaprizov, number two. We'll see if he wins the NHL's rookie award. Uh, Dalvin Cook, three, still 25 and under. Nafisa Collier is one of the most underrated great players in the WNBA. Yes. She was like fourth in win shares last year in the WNBA for all you stat nerds out there. Cat uh, is still 25 and under, so I put him fifth. Ant, six. D'Angelo Russell, seven. Alex Kirilov, eight. Uh, Crystal Dangerfield, also rookie of the year in the WNBA for the Lynx. And then Emmanuel Reynoso, uh, star player for MNUFC. And honestly, if I could do this list again... I might put Trevor Larnick on it because he's been so, he's been better than Kirloff since getting called up. Yeah, maybe, maybe Larnick is eleventh on this list, but that's a pretty. I mean, the, when when you're getting to like Alex Kirloff at eight, you know you've got a pretty good crop of twenty five and under players in this in this market. Absolutely, and I think I, I agree with you on the most part. The only thing I'd, the only couple things I'd quibble with, like in the ranking, is I don't know if I'd put Cat on the list. Not I, I, he's an awesome player. But just because he's like closer to twenty six than twenty five, so that mm-hmm. me quibbling. But I agree with you. I think, I think maybe Kareel just a bit more than Jefferson, only because I think, uh, I think it was Stephen who told me this. Like that, when 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 you're playing wide receiver, you're only playing a certain amount of snaps, and he's depending on Kirk to throw it to him. But whereas Kareel, like he's control, he can control the puck. Like he's out there about 40 45 minutes per per night so that's i'd i'd give Kirill the slight edge at this point but i think your list was right on i think that that uh 
we can we can quibble on the rankings a little bit, but I think you're right. Like the art, when you have a list of twenty five or younger with Kirillov, who I think is going to be a stud at number eight, that means you have a crop of great young talent. Yeah, and I I don't even disagree with you on Kaprizov. Like if 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 you or anyone else wanted to say he should be number one over Jefferson, that's definitely not a hill I would die on. I would swap those guys for sure without really any hesitation. And yeah, I think. Like, to go down the path that you were talking about, Kaprizov is really the driving force for wild success. Jefferson is amazing and has been the best player on the field a couple times for wins. But ultimately, Kirk Cousins is the driving, or the defense, are going to be the driving factors for, for Vikings wins. So if you look at it from that perspective, like, who's more influential when it comes to winning, Kaprizov is going to be ahead of Jefferson on that list. Um, so that's I, w- I should probably make a make an alteration next time because I think I agree with you. And that's not, not even talking about winning, but I just feel like he controls his own fate. Like Jefferson is is a phenomenal player and he's going to get his stats, yeah. but he can't really control his own fate on the on the field. He's depending on other people to provide him the ball or to uh, just be just or the offensive line to protect uh, Kirk so he can have time to give him the ball. Whereas Kirill. He sort of dictate. Now he's on a line with two other guys, but it seems like just based on the construct of the different sports, and I understand it's hard to compare the players based on how the sports are constructed. But Kirill, he can sort of he can dictate his own fate more so than Jefferson. Yeah, it's also that's also the reason why I think Anthony Edwards, who I have sixth on this list, probably rises into the top three when we do this a year from now. I just. I love that dude's game. I love that he got better with better coaching and just being able to study the NBA. I mean, what he looked like the first two months, going three for 15 every single night from the field, and he had a few of those in the second half of the season too, but just the way that he controls everything offensively, um, I, I, I think, in fact, I'm such a Timberwolves, just ridiculous apologist, and I'm just this hopeless romantic with the Wolves. I mean, I used to go to every game in the Kurt Rambis era, <clears throat> just like just to try and get on the ground level of you know the stock rising, and of course it didn't. But I really think if Anthony Edwards pans out the way that we think he can, and Dwayne Wade even said this dude's the next Dwayne Wade, maybe even better. If he can reach like eighty-five percent of that ceiling, he'll be the best player on this team. Um, he'll be sort of that you know look at the players, the Devin Booker's, those sort of combo guards that are dominating in the NBA right now, he'll be that, and and he'll be the reason why the Timberwolves, I was going to say can make a run, let's just say he'll be the reason why the Timberwolves can just get to the play-in, the four-team play-in. Let's start with a low bar of expectations. Yeah, I'm, I'm like you, I'm a hopeless romantic when it comes, because basketball is my number one sport, it just, the, the Wolves are my squad, so I'm like you, a hopeless romantic. I don't think they're too far off. I think comparing next year to the Wolves, is kind of like the Suns last year. Not the Suns this year. They're not going to make the conference finals. But I think next year for the Wolves will be like the la- the Suns in the bubble. Whereas a team that's on the rise, teetering into the play-in, maybe a 9-10 seed, and then next offseason they strike with the big fish and they maybe... I don't, I don't know. We always seem like it's going the right direction and something seems to snag it. But I at this point, just looking at Ant and... I didn't think he was going to be this good, quite frankly, and he's just phenomenal. So I think yeah. if they get the right pieces, I th- 
I really do think this team is on the right track. Assuming, assuming that they don't move to your neck of the woods. Well, that's a, that's a conversation for another day. But I, I, I think love there to be a team. I live, I live like a mile from the arena here, and they they've redone it for cracking games. And I, I would love a team here. I don't want the wolves to move here. I want, I want the wolves to remain rooted in Minnesota. It, I, that's, that's, people love the Sonics here still. In fact, um, Sean Kemp has one of the most popular weed shops in Seattle. So he still has really? like his image plastered all over the place. Uh, I think, like, on the Suns, I agree. They're, they're, the Suns made that ridiculous run in the bubble without Chris Paul. But Chris Paul is such a difference maker for franchises. He's just one of the best leaders and behind-the-scenes teachers. And then on the court, he's just an assassin from mid-range. And, you know, he has these games where he'll go off for 14 assists and no turnovers. If you could replace D'Angelo Russell with this version of Chris Paul, then that Timberwolves team next year probably wins, like, 50 games or more. Um, so a lot of this is going to come down to D'Angelo Russell, who's a max player, and he was really good in the last month of the season when he came back from the from the knee injury, and I was pleasantly surprised. But can he sort of be <laughs> – I shouldn't even say it because he can't be the – Chris Paul is alleged he's a Hall of Famer, but, like – how much of that role can D'Angelo fill? Can he be a facilitator? Can he help elevate the game of a couple of younger players around him, right? Like, he's nowhere near – he's not a Hall of Fame caliber player. He's not even an all-star caliber player yet, but he's going to have to step into some pretty big shoes um, if, if the Wolves want to get above 500 and make, and make a run postseason. Absolutely. I think I think the next step – I think I think the, for this team to be successful this year next year – I think I don't know about you, but I think uh, I've heard you guys talk about it a bit on on your show. I think Cat moving to the four would be beneficial, just because you are who you guard. So I feel like if you have him guard fours, I think McDaniel's could. I think uh, the I think this could potentially be the best young combination of wings in the league with Edwards and McDaniel's. So I think if they, I think I don't know how they have some some tradable chips. I feel like they could get a five, a five man, some way, somehow. Miles Turner. Yeah, Miles I th- Turner's available, possibly. I don't know what they'd have to. Some well, of it too depends on like, do they keep their pick? Do they lose it? And then if they lose it, you can't trade first round picks in back to back years. So yeah. They have to figure out how that works. Like, how would they even acquire Miles Turner? They might, have, they might have to get a third team involved and a first round pick coming from another team. But Miles Turner would change the game because, to your point, Miles Turner would be the five. Cat would be the four, and then I'm trying to think who'd be coming off the bench. I mean, and they might it's possible they trade Beasley, but I think Beasley is probably coming off the bench next year. But you just it opens up so many options if you can get Miles Turner in here. Yeah, and I think the one benefit for that is my understanding is that I don't know how legit this was, but I remember the Pacers really thought they were going to sign Ricky when uh, Phoenix signed. Yeah. They they wanted him. I remember they wanted him bad, and the same the same regime is in place. So would they take Rubio? I don't know. Uh, we'll have I think to. They s- would like you. You'd have to trade Rubio. Rubio for Miles Turner straight up seems like a fleecing for the Wolves. So you maybe Okogi. Ru- maybe. Yeah, could-, could you could you do it without giving a first round pick up? I don't know. They, I I would think they'd probably want a first round pick in some way. Yeah, because the Pacers and the Wolves are an identical. They're not, they're in identical financial situations. They're both stuck in cap hell, and I know that the Pacers have a bunch of free agents like. They have, like, for example, like T.J. McConnell is a guy I think a lot of contenders will want to sign, and uh, I know McDermott had a good year, so that's a, that's something to watch. I I think another sneaky name 
is Al Horford. I think I know it's it sounds absurd because of the contracts, but if you think about it, Rubio and Culver combined make the exact amount that Horford does. And you could find a third team to take Rubio and but it'll be really fast I think this summer will be the most fascinating summer for the Wolves, even though without without any cap space in a long time. And I think next Tuesday will be huge. I, I don't th- I personally don't think they'll get they'll keep the pick and I wouldn't I wouldn't be crying any tears if they didn't, just because it creates more cap space. But I think next Tuesday would just be the and obviously with all the with all the drama about the ownership and all, but I I think I just feel like this off season is the most uh, fascinating for the Wolves uh, in a sneak yeah. in a sneaky way. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, it would be really nice to keep that pick, but the, I've been saying this all along. Like, yes, the pick would be amazing. So there's no ifs, ands, or buts. But I think if the three guys that are all 25 and under didn't gel and look good down the stretch, like that would be the bigger. If those guys all played together and just looked like garbage, and the Wolves, you know, lost eight of nine games or something down the stretch. I would have said, all right, well, what does it matter if you keep... I mean, yeah, get good players in here, but your nucleus is broken. And so at least now it feels like the nucleus is right. At least it, it feels good enough to be able to win games. Um, so you're not as reliant on someone coming in to save the franchise. Now, I will say in terms of uh, ownership drama, Alex Rodriguez did tell somebody in the Instagram comments of one of his posts yesterday that he does plan on keeping the Timberwolves in Minnesota. So maybe, maybe A-Rod is alleviating some of the uh, angst and drama here surrounding the Wolves purchase, if it, if it does get finalized. Absolutely. And I, obviously I was, t- was tongue-in-cheek to comment about Seattle earlier, but realistically, I, don't, I know a lot of people were freaking out, but my understanding is that he doesn't have a good relationship with the city of Seattle. So that, he does not. I, I, know, uh, I know he spurned them at the altar like 20 years ago for that big deal. So I, that, that, that never made sense to me, but I, th- I think you're right. I think this team... and. I th- I th- this t- the core of the three of them they played really well down the stretch and I think one of the sneaky things is a lot of people criticized the Finch hiring at the time but if you look at the landscape of the NBA right now if the Wolves would not have done if, if Gerson would not have made that move when he did he, they, wouldn't have not, they would not have gotten him There's, you could, yeah look at all the openings right now I think I mean, I, New Orleans got fired today yeah Scotty Brooks got fired and they're good coaches I mean I I'm 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 not surprised that it's Brooks just because it's expiring, but I'm stunned. Like I I felt even though they're they're a young team and they didn't make the playoffs, like a guy like Stan is a good coach. So, but I guess maybe they when you, a lot of teams when they're under pressure and they, they just got to make changes. So I I'm I'm certain that if Gerson would not have made that move when he did, another team whether Indiana or New Orleans, but another team out there would have snatched Finch up. So I feel like. He's a good. He's a really good coach uh, strategically, and I feel like this team's just on the right track. Yeah, everything I've heard about Finch behind the scenes is positive too, and, and just in terms of the teaching ability and the scheming and just the way that he communicates and works with ego players. I mean, let's face it; these are all highly paid NBA players. The Beasleys, the the Delos, like they all have egos. They can be a little bit tough to to manage and work with sometimes. It sounds like Ryan uh, Ryan Saunders didn't have the best relationship with D'Angelo Russell. I'm biased. I love Ryan Saunders as a guy. I consider him a friend. Um, pretty clearly, though, Chris Finch has done a better job scheming. And honestly, I think I think Ryan Saunders was put in a really tough no-win situation. The youngest coach 
I think maybe in NBA history for sure in the last 40 years, like 33 years old, and he's expected to jump in and uh, and take this thing over and drive it to the next level. I think in retrospect, he needed like five or six more years as an assistant under, you know, go work for Spolstra, go work for a great coach and, and punch that clock for five or six more years. And then when you're 40 years old, but then you take another shot at being a head coach. I just, I, in retrospect, I think they put him in a situation like Glenn Taylor thought it was such a great idea. Man, if Ryan Saunders comes in, the son of Flip, it would be such a great story if this worked out. Well, it didn't, and he just wasn't necessarily ready for it. Yeah, I think so. I think I think you're 100 percent right. That I think he's a he's a good guy, and I think eventually he'll be a good head coach. But I feel like just the circumstances he was put in, and just the timeline. I feel like it just was not the right situation. I think. I think you're, and he has a lot of great connections around the league, like a Spolstra. He's, I believe, he's close with Doc. So I feel like go be an assistant, to uh, three or four more years. Go put in some, uh, go put in work, on one of those staffs. And I think, I think he's young enough. He'll get another chance. I really do. Yeah, yeah. It would be fun. It would be fun to see him get another shot for sure. Now the rumor is that uh, Portland's been talking about trying to lure Spolstra away. So maybe he'll go work in Portland under Spolstra. But there's zero chance that happens. No. Chance the Dame goes to Miami, then Spolster goes to Portland. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think I think uh, I think there will be a day where Pat Pat Riley will do what Danny Ainge did and just retire and just tell Spolster it's okay, it's your show. You run the whole operations. I think that'll probably happen first before he ever leaves. Yeah. Before I let you go, just really quick, not to end on a depressing note, but what's like your biggest heartbreak? Like me personally, like the first memorable heartbreak in my life was Josh McCown's Hail Mary. But I wouldn't call that the biggest one. I'd say the biggest one for me is 09, and not even for the reasons a lot of people state. I, a lot of people blame the far of interception and the hits. I, bl- I blame it on underrated plays. I'm just curious, like, of your th- three decades uh, being entwi- intertwined in Minnesota sports, like, what's your biggest, what's, what's the biggest thing that uh, in, is indelible in your mind? It was the 1998 NFC Championship game, hands down. It's the first time a sporting event made me cry. I was 12 years old, I want to say, at the time, 12 or 13, 12. And I, at that point, because I, like, the Twins winning the World Series in 91 was kind of my first major sports memory. And then the Twins were bad. I remember the Twins, I went to a bunch of Twins games with my dad in the 90s, and they, like, they were clearly terrible, but they weren't heartbreaking they were just bad so I had never experienced anything like getting your hopes up for a team that you know is going to win a championship which is how we all felt about the 1998 Vikings and then all of a sudden the rug just gets ripped out from underneath you and now like since 1998 that has happened multiple times in Minnesota sports with almost all of the teams but that was so jarring for a 12 year old Phil Mackey he ran upstairs to his room I think let out a scream and then just cried for like an hour and then became a Packer fan the next year for a few months. <laughs> yeah, and that's interesting because I was about probably the same age when the uh, 09 happened, so it's interesting, yeah. That, and I had a, I had a lot of heartbreaks up till then, but I feel like that one... For, and I, I guess 98 because I was, I was alive, but I was, I was too young to remember it. Like, I, I, don't remember, I don't remember my reaction. Like, I know 41 Donut, I don't I remember watching, but I don't remember ha- being... Re- like I remember, like, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I was so emotional. Like I would, I'm the one guy who would cry like every time their team would lose, and it's, so 
I'm I'm thinking I'm hoping and praying that it we it gets rectified and something uh some good vibes come our way from any one of these sports teams. I know the Lynx have won four, but just the last couple of years has been some dry spells. So just any one of these teams just bring us some good vibes would be appreciated. I, I, I'm feeling good about the Vikings to be competitive this year. I don't know. I don't. I still don't trust Kirk to uh, lead them to a Super Bowl. I'm actually feeling really good about the Wolves front office, the ownership change, especially Mark Laurie and the young players, and then Kaprizov if he's going to be around for like eight or ten years. I mean, come on, someone's got to win one at some point in the next five or ten years. We're not asking for a Boston-like run. We just want one for now. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure having you on. We'll have to have you on again, Mr. Mackey. I appreciate your work. I appreciate all you do. So thank you so much for enlightening us with your time here today. Thank, thank you, Amir. Uh, great work hosting the podcast, and we'll talk again sometime. Man. Absolutely, we'll do that. I want to thank uh, Mr. Phil, uh, Phil Mackey again for joining us. Uh, he, well, it's a lot of some people like what he says, and other people don't. But same with me. Like uh, I, I respect, I respect. And appreciate his passion and his mind. So, thank Mr. Mackey again. We'll have to have him on again. Uh, but before we go here, just it's so crazy that all the NBA news that's been going down re- uh, recently. Uh, we had uh, in the playoffs. It's so sad. I think, and it's kind of expected because of the compressed schedule we've had this season. But all of the superstar players that have just been injured. Uh, as we're as we're recording. On uh, on just just this morning, uh, Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns in their first uh, trip to the playoffs, they, they reached the conference finals for the first time in ten in eleven years and had won seven straight games. But this their superstar CP three looks like he uh we don't know if he had COVID, if he was near somebody who had. Uh, I know I don't know, but it, I I would I imagine with him being the president of the Players Association. And with the NBA, uh, the Players Association, and the, and Michelle Roberts and them, uh, encouraging all the players to get vaccinated. I imagine that Chris Paul was vaccinated, but we'll have to see if he can play in the conference finals or not. Kawhi, it's a real bummer. His knee, we don't know if it's an ACL, if it's a sprain, we don't know. Mike Conley's still out. Kyrie's still out. A lot of superstars, but that that's sort of a bummer. I wasn't really bummed out like. I'm excited when the, I know a lot of people like when there's a front runner, a clear title favorite. I'm the opposite. I like this what we're having this year. I just hate the injuries. I'd rather I'd rather it be this uh, circumstances we have this year with no clear favorites, just as long as everybody is healthy. If you have all these teams uh, vying uh, to reach the finals, but, and nobody knows who's gonna win, and everyone were healthy, but of all the of the of the seven teams left standing. I don't think I think only one of them actually has their uh, their best player healthy. Uh, Atlanta with Trey Young. I mean, well, I guess Milwaukee. Atlanta and Milwaukee are the only two teams that are healthy, and even them, they were fouled key cogs. DeAndre Hunter, one of the the Hawks' best defensive players, he's done. Uh, DiVincenzo, he's done for Milwaukee, but they're not superstars. But you have Philly and Joel Embiid just does not look right. You know, the other night. Uh, uh, we're rec- we're recording here as Game Five will be play- being played tonight, but Joel Embiid last uh, the other last game the second half he just did not look right. He was zero for fifteen in the second half and he was just lab- uh, he was just laboring. So him with his with his meniscus injury and he's not a hundred percent. 
now broken out. KD put on a tour de force, on a one a one man wrecking crew, by himself. But uh, Harden's not a hundred percent. Obviously, he's playing hurt. Kyrie's down. So we'll have to see about the Nets. I'm not so sure about the Nets. Uh, we got like I said uh, in the West. The three teams remaining in the West are all have injury concerns. The Clippers, their best player, probably the best player remaining in the playoffs, in Kawhi Leonard. He might not play the rest of the series. Then you have the Jazz without Conley, Donovan Mitchell, the Spiders not fully healthy. And like I said, you have the Suns, and they were a really good team. Like, I love the Suns. I, Based on what I saw against Denver and Yoke uh, and Joker, I really felt the Suns were going to pull up, up, have a chance to win the title uh, with, with their full complement of players. But we'll have to see about CP3. But it's just a bummer. It's a bummer. I I hate injuries. I really I really hate injuries. I hate illness. So I just wish that everybody can just be healthy and we can have these uh, full uh, competitive playoffs. Uh, so we'll have to. Uh, it's great. Uh, great to have you guys. Uh, great to have you guys again. Uh, great uh, having you guys coming and uh, listen listening. Uh, we'll, ha- we'll talk to you again. Assalamu alaikum. Take care.